And I'd like to invite the rest of uh, you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. We'll be in chapter 19 this morning, starting in verse 1. Luke 19, starting in verse 1. I uh, also, with John, would like to uh, send my greetings uh, to all the mother, mothers out there. So happy Mother's Day if you're a mom uh, here. We are thankful for you. And uh, this is a day that uh, we should uh, honor our mothers, right? So if you haven't called or texted or seen your mom yet today, uh, if you have that opportunity, don't fail to do so, okay? Um, you're on my team at this point. I'm calling right after the service and uh, to, to greet my mom. But, but moms are to be respected and honored and loved. And I think we're so motivated to love our mothers because we have been loved so much by them. And there is something evident in the gospel as we see that picture of motherly love. And I want us to think about that uh, this morning as we uh, study the gospel of Luke and this beautiful story of Zacchaeus meeting Jesus. Uh, so what I'd like to do is, is we see in scripture where Paul prays that, that uh, the Ephesians would grow in their knowledge of God's love. And I think what we need to learn from that is there is an assumption there that we just don't always get it immediately. Just because we know intellectually God loves us, um, sometimes there's a disconnect between our acceptance of that intellectually and that actually hitting our heart and changing our lives. And so um, we know that the gospel is meant to be not only known and embraced intellectually, but it is to be experienced and to transform us from the inside out. So let's ask God, let's pause and ask God to teach us of his great love here this morning. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we are so grateful that just as we have uh, sang about this morning, Lord, that uh, your love is, is higher, it's truer, it's deeper, it's wider, it's vast as an ocean. If we could, if we could um, take uh, the, 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 the best instruments uh, that we have and, and write of your love, we, could, we, we would just write forever because your love is that infinite, it's that limitless and so, Father, we pray that, that we would experience your love today. Not just know it with our minds, but that it would uh, enter into our hearts and it would transform us, that we might live for you and love like you have loved us. God, teach us from your word today and change us by your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our nation has been captivated this week by another tragic story, and thankfully this is one that in, in many ways is ending in celebration. I'm sure that many of you have followed the, uh, the, the story that's happened on the west side of Cleveland uh, with Amanda Berry, Gina DeJesus, and Nancy Ruiz. Uh, these three women were, were abducted tortured beyond our ability to even really understand what they must have experienced uh, as they were captured by this man, Ariel Castro, and, and, and kept in his house, a man, for, for a decade. Uh, just a nightmare of a story. And yet, thankfully, these, these women broke free and now they have been found. And so I know we could, could think about this story from a lot of different angles this morning, but what I'd like for us to do is to consider that these women who were once probably presumed not only lost, but perhaps dead, have now been found and reconciled with their families. And behind this story of these three women stands a story of three mothers who 
refuse to give up on them. Listen to the words of Joanna Connors, who I believe is a staff writer for one of the Cleveland papers. Uh, She says this. She wrote this this morning. uh, We need to remember Amanda's mother, Luanna Miller, strong and mad, yelling at reporters and the police year after year, demanding that they keep looking for her daughter, keep writing about her, and then dying without knowing that she was right. Amanda was still alive. We need to remember Gina DeJesus' mother, Nancy Ruiz, who, keeping vigil year after year, uh, told TV reporters six years after her daughter disappeared these words, now I'm fighting, I'm coming out, somebody's out there, somebody knows something, I need them to step up to the plate and start speaking. Tell me where my baby's at so I can bring her home. We need to remember Michelle Knight's mother, Barbara, never giving up on finding her daughter, even when the police and the FBI seem to have given up. These three mothers, though they had lost their daughters, refused to stop praying, hoping, believing that one day they would be found. And this is a, a what, what motivates this? What, what was driving these moms to never lose hope, to always keep putting out there again and again and again, let's keep searching, let's keep hoping, let's keep spreading the word in hopes that, 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 that our daughters might be found. What was driving all of that was uh, the heart of love that they possessed for their daughters. Behind every missing child and behind every rescue mission, there is love immense, vast, undying love to find the object of their love. Now, mothers have a beautiful opportunity, day by day by day, even as we see it in this story, to display the love of God to us. We see in the Gospel of Luke, we've seen it again and again and again from chapter 1 all the way to today that the essence of the Gospel of Luke is that there is a God who loves, loves more than we can even begin to imagine. And this God loves so much that he sent his one and only son on a rescue mission for people to be won back to him, reconciled to him. And so as we think about the, the, mother, the, the motherly love that is present on a day like today, hopefully it points us to an even greater love that we find in the heart of God. And so this morning I want us to think about the rescue mission of Jesus and how this mission is a mission of love. So if you would, read with me as I uh, read for us the first 10 verses of the gospel of Luke's 19th chapter. Here we go. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. 
And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I had defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This story of Zacchaeus is probably a familiar story for most of us, especially if you grew up in the church for any length of time. It's a famous children's story, right, that the children learn as they grow up in the church that parents often will communicate to their children. And it's such a memorable story. It's, it's compact and it's, it's tight, but it tells us of this man named Zacchaeus. Perhaps you know the children's song. I'm not going to sing it for you, but it goes something like, you know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he, and, and uh, he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Some of you are singing it in your minds, and you're very thankful that I'm not singing it for you right now. But, uh, but, but this is a, a beautiful children's song that, that teaches us a great lesson about God. But, but what I want to challenge us to, to do this morning is to realize that sometimes we can, these stories that we're so familiar with, the stories that we've heard our whole life, we, when we read through the Bible, we just kind of pass over them very quickly. I was like, oh, I've got that. Zacchaeus, wee little man, grew, you know, climbed a tree. Jesus found him. Salvation's come. Da-da-da-da-da. And we might miss the, the gravity and the weight of this story. Because why we're only taking 10 verses today is because this passage here really captures the prominent themes of the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to see those as we look at what the mission of Jesus was really about. So what I want to do as we look through this, this story is give you five truths about the mission of Jesus. And I want to extend this invitation to all of us here today to join in on the powerful mission of Christ who came to seek and to save the lost. This is what we should walk away with as we look at this mission of Christ to seek and to save the lost. We should be saying, hey, Jesus invites us in on this mission ourselves. So what do we learn about the mission of Christ? Well, number one, the mission of Jesus is a mission for all people. The mission of Jesus is a mission for all people. We see this again and again and again through the Gospel of Luke. It's one of the reasons why we chose this Gospel and not one of the other three Gospels to start with as we've gone through the, 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 the Gospel of Luke because The gospel of Luke is the gospel for all people. It's the gospel for outsiders. It's the gospel for unlikely people. And that's the kind of church that we want to be at Redemption Hill. We're a church for our whole community. We want our church, we say, to be a thumbprint of the city of Medford and and the surrounding cities in greater Boston. So we said, hey, if we go through the, the gospel of Luke and we take about 40 weeks to do it, then maybe, just maybe, God will cultivate hearts for all people amongst our people in Redemption Hill. And I hope that's what this is happening as we've studied through the gospel of Luke. Verse 2 here gives us some important details that teach us about how the gospel is the gospel for all people. It says that he was, uh, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and he was rich. 
Now, if you weren't here last week, let me just kind of catch you up to speed the last couple of weeks. We really need to understand what's going on in Luke 18 to really feel the force and the weight of what's happening in Luke 19. You see, we saw this story about uh, a Pharisee and a tax collector who came and prayed to God. And it was the tax collector who had humility and he prayed a humble prayer. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And we saw there that tax collectors were a despised group of people. They were looked down upon by others. And then after that, after we see children coming to Jesus and, and Jesus saying, I welcome children because of how humble they are and how they de- have to depend. They're a picture of those who enter the kingdom of God. Then we came to the story of the rich ruler, right? And then we discovered that the rich ruler, though he was interested in following Jesus, he, he decided ultimately not to follow him because he loved his wealth, right? And so if we, if, if, if we don't understand what's going on in Luke 18, we won't grasp everything that God wants us to understand coming to this passage in Luke 19. So Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Why were tax collectors uh, so despised and looked down upon in the first century? Well, simply because they loved to swindle and rob from those that they were collecting the taxes from, right? So they would go and they would take a little bit more than they should have. They were dishonest, they were unjust, and they were trying to load their pockets in the process of collecting for Rome. Now, It's by no mistake that Luke tells us that Zacchaeus is not just a tax collector, he is a chief tax collector. It's the only time I believe it comes up in the New Testament. This probably tells us that Zacchaeus had other tax collectors who were kind of serving under him and perhaps that he was in charge of the broader region uh, of Jericho there uh, to, to oversee the collection of taxes. So as, as much as Tax collectors would have been despised. You might imagine that Zacchaeus was like at the top of the people's hit list when it came to being, you know, uh, upset with the practices uh, that were going on there. He is also rich from all of these collections. And that makes him, both of those uh, components make him unlikely to be a recipient of God's love and God's salvation. This is why Mark Strauss, a New Testament scholar, says this, and I love this. He says, this episode is a fitting conclusion to this section in Luke, chapters 10 through 19. It's called the Travelogue. It's a fitting conclusion to a section called the Gospel to the Outcast. Zacchaeus is the ultimate outcast because he is not just a hated tax collector, but a chief tax collector who also happens to be rich. But this is what we love about Jesus, right? Everyone else views Zacchaeus as an outsider, as a reject, as someone that they should keep not only an arm's length from, but should not even associate with. And Jesus decides to be his friend. Jesus goes up to Zacchaeus and and he says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to stay at your house today. This is what Luke has taught us again and again and again. Luke 7, 34. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him. He's a glutton. He's he's a drunkard. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. This was a mark of Christ's ministry. He spent time with those that everyone else wanted nothing to do with. 
And why is this? It's not because he just loved all people, but it was because these people were more likely to see their sinfulness, see their great need for God, and answer the call of salvation that Jesus extended. So this is then why we find back in Luke 5, 29 through 32, Jesus is hanging out with another tax collector who, oh, by the way, was actually one of his disciples, Levi, also known as Matthew, the writer of the first gospel. Look at what it says. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? But Jesus answers them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Jesus says, hey, if you think you are well, if you think you are so well off and so righteous and so good, and you already have the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God kind of on lockdown, then you know what? It, you, even though you think you're all set, you're really not, but I'm going to spend probably the majority of my time with people who actually see their need for me. People who know they're sick and desire my healing power in their lives. So we see that Jesus not only uh, wants to, to associate with Zacchaeus, but he takes it a step further. He actually invites himself over to his house. Now, I don't know how many of you are comfortable with that. You know, hey, I'm coming over like tonight, especially to a stranger, okay? But, but this didn't hinder Jesus, okay? Because he is a man on a mission. And so he invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. And this would have been a, a really significant moment because we have people over and, and it's, it's a common practice and it's understood, hey, there's, there's some level of friendship here. But to actually sit at table with someone in the first century would have been a, a deep sign of, of social attachment and friendship. And the word here, it even indicates that Jesus was going to stay with him perhaps overnight, not just have a meal and, and take off, you know, eat and run, but that Jesus was going to, to unpack his bags and stay with Zacchaeus, his new friend. Jesus came to seek the sick. He came to seek the sinful people who didn't have their act together. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Now, this is what Jesus still does today. He still comes to look for people who their relationship with God has been broken because of their sin. Now, oh, by the way, that is every single one of us, right? No one is exempt. We are, we are born with a sinful nature that gives us an uncanny ability to sin against God. To sin against God means that we've rebelled against him. We haven't lived the way that he has wanted us to live. And we all know that this is, this is uh, present in our lives. And our sin then has moved us away from God. It has separated us from God. And so Jesus was sent so that we might be brought back. We who were lost might be found. And we know, as those who live in greater Boston, that this is an area of our country that in some ways still has vestiges of, of religion, but not a lot of gospel. Not a lot of understanding of the love of God and, and acceptance of, of, of God who wants to have this vibrant relationship with us. 
The statistics are are staggering. Roughly uh, 3% or under of the the population of of greater Boston attends an evangelical church. And by evangelical, I just mean a a church that that preaches the gospel of grace and through, through faith alone, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. 3%. So you know in your neighborhoods, in your workplaces, the places that you hang out and frequent, the, the people that you, you know, do your hobbies with, most of them probably do not know Christ. They're not really devoted to God. And you can kind of see that by the way that they live their lives. And so what this means is that we need to take our cues from Jesus and be about the mission of loving all people, going to all people and taking this good news of the gospel to them. You see, there is not one person here in Medford and Greater Boston who is not on the heart of God. So this is the impetus for us to go and to love them with his good news. The mission of Jesus is a mission for all people. Number two, The mission of Jesus is a mission of grace. The mission of Jesus is a mission of grace. Just picture what's going on here, okay? Jesus is rolling into Jericho, okay? And he has crowds that are just following him, surrounding him, pressing in on him. And this was typical for Jesus. Why? Because he worked miracles and and he had uh, wisdom in his teaching. And so, so many people wanted to come and listen to him, to see him, to touch him, to be healed by him. And we know from the end of Luke 18 that he just had healed a blind man. He gave a blind man his sight. And so the, the city must have been abuzz all the more knowing that Jesus was coming into town. And so Zacchaeus, knowing this, has two great challenges. Number one, there is a great crowd that, that is keeping them from him. But number two, Zacchaeus was not only circumstantially challenged, he was also physically challenged. It says that in a probably a kind of kind way that he was a man of small stature. In other words, that's a politically correct way of saying that Zacchaeus was really short. Okay? And I just want you to know, on a side note and a personal note, man, I love people who are vertically challenged, okay? Um, just, just, just look at my family and our little smallest daughter, Kessid, and um, there's probably a great chance that she is not going to be in the upper percentiles of height, you know, for the rest of her life. So I can kind of identify with people who are not as tall, and I have a great love for them, just like Jesus. All right? So... You know, one day we just had the adoption yard sale for the Chastines. Yesterday it was awesome. God really kept the rain off and, and they were able to raise a lot of money for that. And so, you know, Marsh and I are praying about adopting too one day. It's not a done deal, but we're, we're open to it, which I think is a really wise thing uh, for Christian families. And um, my, my goal, okay, we haven't like signed a contract agreement on this, but my goal is to adopt uh, an athletic son who is in the 85th percentile in height, okay? So that's, uh, that's the plan uh, on my end. Uh, so, so anyway, so G- Zacchaeus is, is in this group of people, right? He, it says that he runs ahead so that he can climb a sycamore tree. A sycamore tree would have kind of been like an oak tree, short stump, a big stump with branches going out that would have been easy to climb. So he runs ahead, and he just wants to see Jesus. This is all that, that verse 3 tells us. It says that he, he was seeking to see who Jesus was. 
Now, we might read more into this than is there, but we might assume, hey, he's like spiritually seeking and, and that he really you know, wants to know the message of salvation. And perhaps that's true for Zacchaeus, but we don't know that. All we know is that his curiosity has been piqued about who Jesus is, what his message is, and perhaps the difference that he can make in his life. And so if you are here today and you don't know a lot about Christianity, perhaps you're just curious about the faith, my hope and my prayer for you is that you would be like Zacchaeus and hang around long enough to really understand the message of salvation that God has for you. So Zacchaeus was wanting to see Jesus, and there is some level of seeking here, but what we need to understand here is that there is a greater seeker in this passage. There is someone who is on a greater quest. The irony here is that the one who seems to be seeking is really being sought by Jesus. Because once again, what happens? Jesus is walking down the road, and by the way, he's going to you know, Jerusalem to, to be crucified and to rise again. And once again, Jesus stops because he loves people, and he sets his eyes on Zacchaeus, and he says, Zacchaeus, hustle up, get down, I'm going to stay with you. You see, before we would have even thought to take the first step toward God, if that were even possible theologically, we know that we are separated from God in our sins. We are dead in our sins, the Bible says. But God takes the first step toward us in Christ. God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to take the initiative to bring us salvation. And so if we would look to him, and how he has brought his grace to us. This is how the Bible says that we can be saved. And what, is this, what does this mean for us? If, if we think about, hey, God is seeking us more than we are seeking him. Number one, hopefully it makes us humble, right? That God is, is the reason that, that, that I have salvation is because he loved me before I loved him. That's what we read in 1 John 4. We love, why? Because God first loved us, 1 John 4, 19. So number one, hopefully it makes us humble. And number two, hopefully it makes us very grateful. This is a message that has powerful uh, uh, component to liberate us to then go and love others because God has taken the first step to us in Christ. And so Zacchaeus is so honored by Jesus wanting to stay with him that he hurries down and he hosts Jesus. But we also find that not everyone is so excited about this. What does it say uh, back in verse 7? It says, when they saw it, speaking of the crowd, it says, when they saw it, they all grumbled. Just like the Pharisees and the scribes, again and again and again, when Jesus associates himself with sinners and becomes a friend of sinners, all of the religious leaders and even the crowds grumble about this. They express their disapproval to Jesus. But what I love about Jesus is that this does not stop him in the least, right? Right? I mean, he could have been focused on the crowds and saying, look, you know, hey, these crowds are, 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 are all upset about me spending time with them. Maybe I'll, I'll carry on and, you know, not stop and spend time with the Zacchaeuses and the Levi's of the world. But Jesus lets nothing deter him. 
He's determined to give his love and mercy to Zacchaeus. And we even see this with the language that he uses. Look in verse five. It says, Zacchaeus, hurry down for I must stay at your house today. We see this four different times in the Gospel of Luke, and they always carry a very important component to the mission of Jesus, okay? Number one, um, I must be in my father's house, Luke 2.49. This was a necessity for him. Even as a teenager, he was devoted to living out the will of the father, okay? Uh, Luke 4.43, I must preach the good news of the kingdom, for I was sent for this purpose, So Jesus was all about proclaiming the good news. This was a necessity for him. Uh, Chapter 13, verse 33, I must go on my way and go to Jerusalem. Again, showing his determination, his willingness to be the sacrifice for our sin. And now in verse five of chapter 19, I must stay at your house today. Jesus is determined to go to Zacchaeus and to give him his grace and love. The mission of Jesus is a mission of grace. And this is what drives then the third component of the mission of Jesus that I want us to consider. The mission of Jesus is a mission of salvation. I want you to understand two things about salvation that we, that we uh, should understand from this passage. Number one, salvation always comes through faith in Jesus. Okay, salvation always comes through faith in Jesus. There's no other way. The Bible clearly says again and again and again throughout the gospel, we've seen how the religious think they can be good enough to earn their way to heaven. And this is what Paul teaches us in Ephesians 2. It's not by works that we're saved, but through, by God's grace, through faith. And you say, well, how do you know this? What, what, where is that in the passage? Well, it's implicit. It's what's behind Zacchaeus being changed from being a rich person who is greedy and hoarding more and more and more for himself to then going and being generous to others. And, and, and that uh, is, is then what leads us to the second understanding of salvation, that salvation always brings transformation. When God changes someone's life and causes someone to cross over from not uh, trusting in God, living for God, to believing in Him and living their life for Him, from, from being blind to being able to spiritually see, from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive, He does this work, this miraculous work as we looked at last week, making a person new and then changing them from the inside out so that now everything about the Christian changes. Zacchaeus goes from being greedy and selfish to being generous and selfless. It says uh, here in verse eight, he, he says, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, and that is uh, not an if of of doubt, it's, it's, it's an if that, that understands, hey, this is what has happened, then I will repay them fourfold. So I think we would all agree, hey, half of our possessions to give to the poor, that's generous by any account. And then number two, to, to give uh, back fourfold would have been uh, more than double what would have been expected by the standards of Judaism in that day. So this is the change that the gospel brings. The gospel brings transformation from the inside out. Have you seen this happen in your life? 
We talked about this this week in our community groups. How how has the gospel made us more committed to Christ? The, The gospel takes angry people and it gives them joy. The gospel takes selfish people and it makes us selfless. The gospel takes people that, that uh, are, are um, lying and, and it makes them honest, right? And we could just go on and on on how the gospel brings this transformation. So how has the gospel changed you? We like to say at Redemption Hill, borrowing from, from one of our friends uh, who pastors a church in Atlanta, the gospel changes people and people change the world. And so once salvation comes into our heart, it necessarily produces a different kind of fruit for God by which then we can go and display how great he is to the world. So the mission of Jesus is a mission of salvation. And then number four, I love this, the mission of Jesus is a mission of power. You say, well, where do you see this in here? I mean, salvation, yes, it comes to Zacchaeus. But once again, we really need to go back to Luke 18 to see what the significance of this narrative on Zacchaeus. So flip back to chapter 18 and read verses 25 through 27 with me. It says there, Jesus says, speaking of this this rich man who who would not follow him, He says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And then those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said what is impossible with men is possible with God. Now, we we saw last week Jesus is saying it is very, very difficult. Until a person sees their need, yes, it is impossible for someone to come into the kingdom, to experience his salvation. But we said that God is the one who can do the impossible, right? What is impossible with men is possible for God. And so now we have in Zacchaeus the test case, the first example that shows that God does the impossible. Zacchaeus is an example of someone who has been threaded through the needle of God's grace and been brought salvation in him. So this is what I love about the gospel of Luke and and, and the ministry of Christ is that there is no one, absolutely no one that is beyond the reach of God's grace. Just think about people in your life. I know we all have people, right? They would never follow God. This is what we think, right? We have a couple conversations with them or perhaps we've lived with them our our whole lives and and we know that they are opposed to God. Man, they're living for themselves. They seem so far gone. And what this passage teaches us is that the gospel is powerful to bring anyone home, to save anyone from their lostness. So you might say, well, Tanner, you don't know my friend. Tanner, you don't know my spouse. Tanner, you don't know my neighbor. And what I would humbly say is you don't know my God. God can save anyone. I won't yell the rest of the sermon, okay? But this, this, is, this is good truth, right? There is no one, there is not one person that we know who can't experience God's love, God's grace, God's salvation. 
And this is the beauty of the gospel. I mean, do you think? Go read the book of Acts, okay? Go read Acts. Peter, James, John, they're in prison. They say, you know what? Who cares? We're going to continue speaking in the name. We, they just ask for more and more boldness. Why do they do that? How can they do that? Well, yes, the Holy Spirit has empowered them to, to be God's witnesses. But, but beyond that, don't you think that they remember times like these? Man, Jesus saved Zacchaeus, the last person in Jericho that we would expect to be saved. Man, God changed his life through Christ. And it just empowers them. These these moments are faith-stirring for us. And what I can't wait at Redemption Hill, I mean, God is doing an amazing work here, but when we see people, more and more people, come to faith in Christ, who were once lost, now found, and they start living their lives for God, it will create this culture of expectation and evangelism to go out and to share this message because we know that there is no one beyond the reach of God's love and God's grace, which then takes us to point number five, the mission of Jesus is our mission, okay? This mission of this for all people, this mission of grace, this mission of salvation, this mission that's so powerful is our mission. You say, well, Tanner, where do you see that? Because we read these 10 verses, and I don't see it there. Well, number one, we, we know from the Gospel of Luke, we've been reading it all the way through, that there is a call again and again and again for us to follow Christ. So it's understood here in Luke 19 that for whoever would follow Jesus, that means following him in everything. Whatever we see Jesus do, that's what we want to do, Right? How he acts, how he treats people. That's how we want to act and treat people. What he gives his life and his time to, that's what we want to give our life and our time to. If Jesus' mission is to seek and to save the lost, that's what our mission is about because we follow him. But then number two, again, the wider context of Luke, we see in Luke 24, that verses 46 to 49, Jesus at the end of the gospel says this, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you but stay into the, in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. So, so this is the final mission, the final commissioning that Jesus gives to his disciples. He says, look, all these things have been fulfilled and your job now is to be my witnesses and to go tell other people about who I am, why I came, why I died, how I rose again, and how I can give life to people who need God. Jesus in John 20, 21 says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Just as Jesus was sent on a mission, so he sends all who follow him on a mission to tell the good news, the story of Christ and how he can take us back into God's family. And so those who love God will share his passion to reach people with this transforming news of the gospel. This is what we want to be about as a church. This is, we're about living out the mission of God as a community that's being transformed by the gospel. And what is the mission of God? Is to go and to to make disciples, people who aren't worshiping God now, we want to see them come to worship God. You say, well, Tanner, how can we do this? I want to give you five missional tips, 
all right? And it is so simple in its outline, intentionally so, because we complicate sharing our faith with others so often, right? Okay, so these are only five words that I'm gonna give you, five missional tips. Number one, love. Love. When we see God's love in the person of Christ and God wants us to love others. This is the great motive for our mission. People can argue with a lot of things, right? But, but it's really difficult to argue with love. So when you love someone, when you sit down across from someone and they really know that you care about them, that you love them, that you're not just trying to win an argument, but you like really care about who they are in their life, they're probably more apt to listen to you. This is what should compel us. For the love of Christ controls us, compels us, that we are convinced that, that one died for all and therefore all died, and those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died. That's 2 Corinthians 5.14, all right? So what does it say there? The love of Christ controls us, it compels us, it motivates us to do everything in our lives, particularly this task of sharing his good news with people. So number one, love. It has to be the driving force, number one, uh, of importance. Number two, listen. Okay? Not only do we love, but we need to listen to people. Sometimes when we share our faith, when we want to talk about God, we're the only ones that want to talk. You know what I'm saying? We have these few things that we want to tell people, and so we just kind of blow, blast it on them, you know, and just kind of overwhelm them with, with what we you know, have in, in, in our minds to share. But it's really wise to, to pause and to listen. In fact, some of you are fearful of even kind of getting in a spiritual conversation. And this is a great way to ease into conversations with people. Just asking, hey, do you have any spiritual beliefs? Is that, is that really difficult to ask someone, hey, do you have any kind of spiritual beliefs? I mean, you're just talking about life. What'd you do this weekend? Yeah, I went to church, da 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 And it's like, you know, oh, do you have any kind of spiritual beliefs? Now, we don't know where the conversation goes from there, but it's a start, right? Or what about this one? To you, who is Jesus? I mean, a lot of people are disgruntled with the church. We grumble about it. But, but Jesus, I mean, what do you think about him? Talk to them about Christ. What about this one? What do, you, what do you think happens when we die? It's a pretty good question. It's not too threatening, right? People have opinions about these things. Or uh, another one that leads us to the third one, can I share my story with you? Which is the third tip I want to give. Not only love, listen, but also share. Share the story of how God has changed your life, if he's changed your life. I mean, it's, it's, it's a privilege to be able to share our testimony. And this is what I love, okay? When we are so full of Christ, when we are so walking so closely with Jesus, when he fills us up, he will just kind of naturally come out of our life. We'll naturally want to talk about him. We'll naturally want to share him with others. There was a Mercedes-Benz commercial uh, probably about a decade ago, and, and it pictured a Mercedes-Benz going about 35 to 40 miles per hour and crashing into a cement wall. And, and the, the commercial was depicting the, the, the technology of airbags, right? And, and so they were, they were showing how that these airbags have the potential to save lives when you are in a crash. And so there is um, a, a, a researcher and a representative from Mercedes-Benz, and, and the researcher says, hey, don't you think you should put a patent on this product? You know, I mean, you can make millions on this, and, and you know, to, to share this, it could cost you a lot of money. You know, we're right about the bottom line. And the Mercedes-Benz uh, representative says, no, 
because some things are too important not to share. This is how it is with the gospel. The gospel is too important. If there is a God, and there is a God who loves us, and a God who can change us, and and make our marriages, and our parenting, and our work life, and you fill in the blank different, then we should want to share that with others. Love, listen, share. Number four, Jesus, okay? We're kind of building something here. This is, this is so simple, right? Jesus. Jesus needs to be the, the topic of our conversation. Focus on Jesus as you share with others. And not only tell them about Jesus, but show them Jesus. Because if we only talk about Jesus and we don't show them Jesus at the same time, they won't be very motivated to listen. But if we'll show them Jesus as we tell them about Jesus, then once again, they are probably more apt to listen to what we have to say. The greatest apologetic, as some have said, of our day is authenticity. People want to see a changed life and the difference that God can bring. And then finally, do this together. Love, listen, share Jesus together. We could say love and listen and share Jesus together. And why do we want to do this together? I mean, just think about the manhunt that happened in Watertown a few weeks ago. Is, is, it, is it surprising that, you know, how many hundreds and thousands of cops that had descended upon Watertown that definitely reduced the likelihood of these suspects fleeing out of the city, right? And then not only was it the, the, the law enforcement, but then they got common citizens aware of what's going on, and it was just a, a citizen in the neighborhood who actually led the law enforcement to find him, right? And so it was all these people working together so that the suspect might be found and captured. And the beauty of, of sharing our faith is it's always better when we do it together. The more people hear the gospel, the more the light of Christ shines so that people's eyes might see to embrace Christ. And so as we go out this, this summer, and as we engage in our connecting events, you know, be praying together for your friends who need Christ. Go out and and, and invite them into your life and and do that together. Share Christ together and and, and there will be strength in that effort. So the mission of Jesus is, is our mission. And what we see here to close is that the, the mission of Jesus demands a response. It forces a decision. There was a sense of urgency to the witness of Christ. It says, you know, immediately come down. Today, salvation has come to this house. So whenever someone meets Jesus, whenever someone is confronted with the truth of Christ, it brings us to a decision. And so if you're here today and maybe you're like Zacchaeus, you're kind of curious about who Jesus is and why he came Maybe you for the first time are saying, you know what, I need a relationship with God. And I realize that this happens through Jesus. If that's you today, then you can cry out to God and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinful person who needs my relationship restored with you. If that's your commitment that you need to make today, we wanna encourage you to do so. But if you're like me, you might wanna make a commitment to God and say, you know what, God, I want to be more about the mission of Christ as he has shown us in Luke 19. 
So what's one commitment that you can make? Can you make a commitment to begin sharing your faith regularly with those around you? Would it be too much to set a goal and say, I'm going to share my faith one time a month, one time a week with people around me in just a very natural way? Would it be too much to say, hey, I'm going to get on board with what's going on in the life of our church and join in in these connecting events this summer and these serve efforts and bring my friends who need a church home and need Christ to join in with me that they might have the, the joy of being introduced to Christ. See, wherever it is for any of us, what we need is the grace of God that saved us to be at work in us, to fill us, that we might go forth in power to share the good news of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would stir our hearts to receive this message and that, uh, Lord, that you would um, draw us to yourself. That, that for those of us who know you, we, we pray that you would um, cause us to walk more closely in the ways of Christ, to, to be more firmly committed to his mission of sharing this good news with the world around us, people around us. And so, Father, we all have a lot of change that we need day by day, and we ask that you would work that in us. God, if there's anyone here who says, man, I'm in, I'm like Zacchaeus, I want to respond that salvation might come into my life. God, I pray that you would show them that and help them to respond. Lord, it's our privilege to know you. It's our privilege to serve you. It's our privilege to, to share you with others. And so, God, help us to do so. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.